Take your Bibles this morning while we're, while we're waiting here. And I, I know it's a little different, but uh, turn to the book of Hebrews, the epistle of Hebrews, towards the back of your New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 2. And uh, I just want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the incarnation and specifically the why. Um, now, as, as for the what of incarnation, we really have to go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, I was doing a little study on that just for myself this week. And the, the, the Greek is interesting there, that last little part in the Word was God. Some translations, the NET, which I really like, translates that, and the Word was truly God. But the literal probably the most accurate translation the reason they don't use it is because it could be confusing but the literal translation of that is this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and as God was so was the word same substance and, and uh, it's a beautiful truth John would go on to say later in that chapter and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the law came by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ so we have this word this second person of the Trinity somehow becoming flesh taking on human flesh and I think at Christmas time we tend to take that for granted right we just say well everybody knows that that's just kind of is what it is there's so much more to it than that that is that is a, a something to ponder for the rest of our lives R.C. Sproul I think said it well when he said this what we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby but the incarnation of God himself God wrote himself into his story into history C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. He said, The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. You know, I feel like right there you could just say, Selah. Just stop and ponder that for a minute. The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Here's another way to say that. The infinite became an infant. How does that work? Some of it is truly a mystery. But the fact that it happened is not. The God whom the universe itself cannot contain. Who flung the stars into space. As if they were pebbles. Somehow fit in the womb of a Judean teenager. But the question today that I hope to answer is why? Why the incarnation? So for that, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're just going to look at these verses from 14 to 18. These five verses. And I think I've got them on the screen, but you've also got it in front of you. So let's, re let's read that. The Bible says this, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. 
that through death, here's the purpose, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is who, church? The devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Think about that. Therefore, in all things he has be, he has excuse, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things per, pertaining to God. Look at this big purpose in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Amen. The word of the Lord regarding the purpose of King Jesus taking on human flesh. And there are really four of them that come right out of this text this morning with no steer wrestling, no finagling, no trying to be clever or cute or novel. They literally fall off the pages of Scripture. And I thought they might help us as we come to the table this morning, the table of remembrance of this great sacrifice, to ponder why he came in the first place. So the first thing that we see here quite plainly in verse 14 is that he came, he, was, he took on human flesh in order to destroy the works of the devil. Anybody here glad? That he has destroyed the works of the devil. You all know what the word devil means? It means adversary. Aren't you glad he came to destroy the works of our adversary, the one who is against us? I'm so glad this is true today. Romans 3 and 23, just jot it down, it says this, for the wages of sin is what, church? Death. Death. Right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let me tell you, we talked about it a little bit in our, our D group this morning. Satan deals in fear and death, doesn't he? That's his works. His works are sin, right? He fell from the throne room of God. He was the first worship leader in history to be fired. And he took a third of heaven with him. Right? And he came dealing in lies that led and always do to sin. And didn't we see it the first time he shows up on the pages of Scripture? He's talking to Adam and Eve. Right? And tempting them to do what? To sin. To break God's commands. But Jesus pays for that sin and by doing so defeats death. He defeats Satan himself. Romans 6.23 For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. He got us all. There isn't a person born that is not born today with a fallen nature. St. Saint, Saint Augustine put it this way quite beautifully I think. 
And he said this, listen to these words. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that the truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher to be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. If the scripture says that he came to defeat and destroy the works of the devil, then we can know, listen, he has succeeded. Amen? Aren't we glad today that this is true? Here's the second thing that we see is to deliver his people from bondage. And we find this quite clearly in verses 15 and 16 where the scriptures say, I almost think that when it's, I almost get the sense here. They says that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. All right? Uh, um, the wages of sin is death. That's Satan's ultimate goal. He has come to steal and then to what? Kill, that's death, and destroy. Notice that order. That destruction comes after death. It continues. He steals, us the, tru steals the truth from us, which ultimately kills us, and if we remain in that death, we are destroyed forever. You see that progression? I think this is almost the YBH, the rest of this. Is how does he pull that off? Um, here, how does Jesus pull it off? Look at this. And release those who through fear of death for all their lifetime subject to bondage. All their lifetime were subject to bondage. And what is that bondage? Through fear of what? Death. How many of you know most people are afraid of death? And why is that? That's the big thing. I would say it's the unknown. I would say it's the unexperienced. Right? Because there's some things that we know if the scripture is true. Amen? But we've not yet experienced them. But there is one who has. Amen? And, 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 and he has given us the truth. Had a young lady in my class last year who has some pretty serious issue in her brain. And they can't seem to, they can't seem to do anything about it. Um, beautiful young lady. Loves the Lord. Like she is super salty follower of Jesus at just 13 years old and her mom was talking to me about it let me know you know things could happen in class and what to do if they did uh, because of this tumor and the doctor was talking to her and telling her look you know there's really nothing we can do there, there's here there is this suggestion and that suggestion and 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 the results of that would be far worse than the thing itself and, and the mom said, no, we're not interested in that. And he said, well, don't you know that your daughter could die? 
And she said, yes, and then live forever. And she said to me, just rather matter-of-factly, so matter-of-factly, it kind of set me back on my feet a little bit. She goes, you know, that's not, that's not the worst thing in the world for my girl to be standing in the presence of Jesus and be healed forever. That convicted me. You know why? She believes the word of God. She believes that Jesus came to deliver his people from the bondage of the fear of death. And this lady who was surrounded by death in her youth in, 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 a, in a very poor country doesn't fear it because she knows the truth and the truth has set her free. Right? Brothers and sisters, do not fear death. It is your greatest testimony to a dark world because Jesus delivered us from the bondage we are no longer bound to the fear of death verse 16 for indeed he does not give aid to angels but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham isn't that you ever stop and think about that Jesus did not come to help angels he came to help people like you and I isn't that, isn't that a wonderful truth he came to deliver he aids us he helps us be delivered from the bondage of the fear of death because he overcame death. And the only way he could overcome death was to become one of us. J.R. Tolkien said this. He said, the resurrection is the eucatastrophe. And that's a play on word from Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper. It's the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. Think about that. The story of King Jesus begins in joy as the angels sang and proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men who please God. And the shepherds came and adored him that night. It, 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 start, it starts in joy. There's some bad stuff in the middle, right? The cross is horrible. But oh, the resurrection is joyous. What, what, a, what, a, what a joyful reality is that resurrection. He also came, the scripture tells number four, is to satisfy <coughs> the wrath of God. And remember, this is all related to death. Right? So he, he, is, he is destroying the works of the devil, literally the work that he is destroying of the devil is that the devil has the power of death, the fear of death. This is what he's undoing. He delivers people from the bondage of the fear of death. And, and, and what is that thing that binds us to the fear of death? Even, even to the lost man who has never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know in our very soul that there is a God to whom we will answer. We know it. It's intuitive. The reality of the Creator God who is righteous and holy is imprinted on the soul of every human being. We also know that this God is righteous and that He is holy and He demands the same from his creation. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, Non-Christians seem to think that the incarnation implies some particular merit or excellence in humanity. But of course, it implies just the reverse. 
a particular demerit and depravity. No creature that deserved redemption would need to be redeemed. Well, that's true, isn't it? They, are, they that are whole need not the physician. Christ died for men precisely because men are not worth dying for. And he did it in order to make them worth it. Wow. Wow. Bad news. You're not worth dying for. Good news. He died for you that you would be worth it. Whoa. Boy, that right there should just cause us to stop and rejoice. Amen. Amen. But th this is, this, this purpose here, this third purpose is, is to satisfy the wrath of God in verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he has been made like his brethren, that's you and I, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, what was the priest's job? The prophet came with the word of God saying, thus saith the Lord, right? Here's the message from God to you people. But what did the priest do? He went the other way, didn't he? Where the prophet comes and says, here's what you need to do. And when the people don't do that exactly right, the priest steps in and says, okay, here's what, here's what we got to do. I'm going to stand between you and God. And here's what we've got to do to make this right. right? I'm going to be the mediator between two warring factions. Y'all getting this idea? Jot it down, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul would say, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, listen to this, this is such good news today, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You know what, if you can hear that verse and think, yeah, well, that, that's good. I know, I know some people that need to be rescued from the wrath to come. I'm not so bad. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You are that bad. And, and Jesus whom God raised from the dead is the one who rescued he saves us from the wrath to come how does he do that he literally steps in between the wrath of God headed right for you and he absorbs it in his own body on a tree wow jot it down Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart Anybody here? You are, <laughs> this is bad. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Listen, you are literally putting into your bank account before God nothing but more and more of God's righteous holy, indignant, hot, roiling, boiling wrath against your unrepentance. Bad news. Super bad news. And I'm glad it doesn't end there. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What a beautiful truth that is. Jot this one down, Romans 5, 9. Let's just stay in Romans much more than having now been, don't miss this, having now been justified by his blood. How does he make that propitiation? We are justified 
this is a poor anachronism, but it works. Just as if I've never sinned, we are made just as if we'd never sinned before God. How? Through his blood. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus went and got a finger prick. No, his blood was poured out for sinners. Justified through his blood, look at this. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Notice the tenses there. Having now been justified. That's the perfect tense. The past perfect tense. That's something that happened in the past that has a continuing effect to this day. Anybody glad that's true? But notice the next tense. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You know what that tells me? That wrath's still coming. That wrath is still coming. A.W. Tozer said this. When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become any greater for it was already infinite. We get the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No. Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us the mercy. If God had not been merciful, there would have been no incarnation, no babe in the manger, no man on the cross, and no open tomb. You see it? The cross didn't produce the mercy of God. The mercy of God produced the cross. And that word propitiation, it literally means the satisfaction of wrath. The righteous satisfaction of wrath. Guilt removed so that grace and mercy could be bestowed. We realize how Incredible that is this morning. 1 John 4.10. Jot that down. The elder John, nearing 100 years old when he wrote this, put it this way. In this is love. You say, you want to see love? I'll show it to you. In this is love. <laughs> Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to bear the wrath that we righteously, rightly deserved. And Jesus, listen to me saints, Jesus bore it all. There isn't one sin that any saint has ever committed that will not be covered by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God does a job, he does it thoroughly and completely. Amen? Jesus literally absorbed every drop of wrath for you. And the enemy is going to come and he's going to lie to you. And he's going to come to you and he's going to say, you know what? <laughs> you just blew it for the last time. Even God is done forgiving you. He said, oh, I don't think that. Hey, God, I would never. Yes, you would, because the enemy is slick. Amen? He's a liar. He's causing us to fear death. Because this world is all we have. All of that's a lie. 
It's undone by the blood of Jesus who bears the wrath of Almighty God. And just think about this logically. Men and women, please, if, God, if Jesus bore every drop of the wrath of God, just think about it for a minute, how much of that wrath is left for the saint? How much? None. How much judgmental wrath of Almighty God does God have in reserve for you? Zero. Jesus propitiated that wrath. He absorbed it all. That's why in the story of the prodigal, Jesus was, was prefiguring the relationship that regenerate people could have with, the, with a holy, righteous God, even though they had been living with pigs. Amen? That son came home to be a slave, to barter with his dad. And you and I do the same thing through our enemy. But God says, no, I got something else for you. Here's a ring, here's a robe, here's sandals for your feet. And let's have a party. Wow. He came to satisfy the wrath of God. And I think he did it. Amen. Aren't you glad that's true today? All right, last one real quick is verse 18 is to aid us in temptation. I want you to see how this all connects. This is a beautiful truth. For in that he himself has suffered. And did Jesus suffer? Yes. yes. And notice how he suffered. Being what? Tempted. Being tempted. Now we know specifically Jesus was tempted in a wilderness, right? Um, can you think of another place where he was tempted? Closer to the cross? You better believe it. In the garden. In the garden. He was truly man. And that truly man part of Jesus said, Ooh. Yeah. Do I have to drink this cup? Is there a plan B? If there's any other way, take this cup away from me. He was tempted for sure. And look what the scripture says. For in that he, he himself has suffered being tempted because of that, and he did it to seven. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but your will be done. Because of that, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He can help you. He can help you appropriate this beautiful truth today. He lived out a perfect human existence he was truly man we're going to talk more about this next week the humanity the true humanity of jesus in this incarnation jesus didn't dip into his deity to live out his humanity there's a lot of bad teaching out there that teaches this well the way jesus the only reason jesus could pull it off is because he was god no he was truly man he had a human nature we see that in the garden, don't we? So how did Jesus do it? How did he pull it off? By relying on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is the same way you and I pull it off. Isn't that crazy? We've got to stop being afraid of the Holy Spirit. We better start inviting the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our thoughts and our minds and our hearts. Amen? What a gift he is. He is such a wonderful gift. You're about a Christmas gift. 
What a wonderful gift is Jesus telling his guys, hey, I'm going away soon. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we, we don't want you to go. And he goes, no, let me, <laughs> you don't get it, trust me. My going away means I get to send the Holy Spirit, and you are going to be way better off with the Holy Spirit than having my physical presence here. Jesus can help us in our temptation because he gets it. He understands what that temptation is. He understands what it is to battle against his humanity. Ed Cole put it this way. He said, ability to resist temptation is directly proportionate to your submission to God. Isn't it? And was Jesus submitted to, to the Father? Yeah, because what does he say? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, look at the proportion of his submission. Nevertheless, not what? My will, but your will be done. He was totally submitted. Therefore, he succeeds in the temptation. James 4, 7, jot it down. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. It starts with what? Submitting yourself to God. You know what we do? We get that backwards. We resist the devil, and then we get deeper down into that temptation, and then we think, oh, maybe I should submit to God. No, submit to God first, amen? Then resist the devil and watch him run like the defeated foe that he is. John Owen said this, the great Puritan, he said, temptations and occasions put nothing into a man, but only draw out what was in him before. You know why Satan tempts you? Because there's stuff in you that doesn't look like Jesus. You hear that? And that's what this table's about. This table is about exposing the lie and replacing it, bringing the truth of the gospel to bear on that lie. We are made to be free. Jesus literally took on human flesh, wrote himself into history, lived a perfect life, kept keeping the law of God right down to the punctuation marks so that he could become the only person before or since qualified in the eyes of Almighty God to die for the sins of others. And all of that could not happen if he did not become one of us and he came to destroy the works of the devil to deliver his people from bondage to satisfy the wrath of God and to aid us in our times of temptation and may God apply this rich truth to our hearts today and may it cause us to multiply our thanks to God for his indescribable gift of the incarnation of himself through his son for our, on our behalf. We are free from God's wrath. We are, and you, and you, know, you know why being free from God's wrath helps with the fear of death? Just think about it. And with this I'm done. If God has no wrath for you left, what does that do to the fear of death? That's why Paul says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? It takes the stinger out of the hornet of death. And Jesus did that for us. We must not fear. We must rejoice in the finished work of Jesus.
I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, as we always do during communion, I want you to allow the Lord to search your heart, uh, that you may take of this table in faith with a clear conscience. Whatever he reveals, repent of that and realize that the blood of Jesus has covered you completely. And then we'll open up these elements together. And we will take it and we will rejoice. So let's take a moment of, of private prayer together. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, your Son and our only Savior. We thank you for this mystery of the incarnation. How you could take on the form of human flesh, retaining both your nature as God and receiving the nature of a man and those two existing together in one body in one soul as we'll learn more next week the, the giving up and the setting aside of those God rights in order to have the full experience as a man and how this must be the case in order for us to have a Savior who has truly been tempted successfully, yet without sin. We come today thanking you that we do not need to fear death. Because just as the works of Satan have been defeated, death itself has been defeated. We look forward to and long for the day that is coming that death itself will be defeated and judged and that Christ will rule and reign on this new earth and new heaven and in the meantime Lord we come to this table which is a literal physical representation of the gospel how it took both the body and the blood of Jesus to first absorb our sin and only then to absolve it. I thank you that not most of our sins were absorbed into Jesus' body, but if your word is true, all of our sins had been absorbed. And then Jesus stood before you as every sinner who has ever sinned and your wrath against every man who had ever sinned, every woman, every boy, every girl, would put their faith in you all of us in the, in the body of Christ all of our sin was, was heaped onto Jesus and all of your wrath for all of that sin was poured onto and into him we rehearse that today this table reminds us that through sorrow there is sanctification. That through pain there is promise. That through death there is life. And our prayer is that you would awaken us to this truly glorious reality today. That this would not be a religious practice, but instead a righteous reenacting of the best news ever. 
May you pull our hearts together as one. And may you be worshipped well as a result of what is about to happen. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I think everybody here, don't have any visitors here, so you kind of know how we do it. So I'm going to invite folks to come as I pull these lids off. I think the worship team is going to come. We're going to sing together our Advent song, O Come All Ye Unfaithful. What an appropriate song, right? Hadn't we been unfaithful? And yet we come to the table who represents Jesus, and if he is nothing, he's nothing if he is not the faithful one. Amen? So the unfaithful come to the faithful one, and we receive his record as our sins are absorbed into his body and as his blood is shed to satisfy the wrath of a righteous God. So may we remember. Just hold your elements and we'll take them together at the end. I'll-